Well, it's my privilege to be finishing off this mini-series on the chapter in Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Anne started last week. I'm going to finish it this week. Next week, then, we start a new series, which you've got a series card as you came in or as you go out for that. I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to read as much as we can here of it and then share some things from this passage. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to turn, a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. In an ideal world this morning, as I'm sharing this, I would like to be announcing at the same time and unveiling the public art that is going on the outside of this building. 45,000 pounds worth of public art in an ideal world. It's going to look something like this if you look at the screen behind me. Here's these four glass panels that have been done by Sarah Galloway. And they're going to go outside in the entrance, if you go to the next slide, just where you see those columns. And those four glass panels will represent seasons. Summer, spring, winter, and autumn. And if there was going to be any wording on the art, and there isn't because we're keeping it abstract, but if there was going to be any wording on it, the wording would be this, a time for everything, or everything in its time. And the reason we would do that is because we believe God is working to a time scale. And God is not confused or frightened by the different seasons or times in the world. He's working to his plan and purpose. We believe that there is a great grand plan of God that is out working in the world and that you and I as individuals are part of that plan and have a part to play. This is what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, And when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, to set us free. At just the right time, when the time was fully set. We believe and we know that Jesus will return to this earth. But nobody in this room, in fact, nobody on this planet, despite a guy that got me a few weeks ago after one of our services here, uh, told me that Jesus had already returned and he was in India. Nobody knows the time when Jesus will return. This is what it says in Mark 13, 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I actually believe that Jesus does know the time. When he said these words, 
it was when he'd limited himself in humanity to a man here on earth. Now he's glorified. I think the Father shared it with him. But at this point, the reality is only God knows. You and I don't know. We don't know, but there is a day when he will return. But the question that I often ask myself is knowing there is a time, there is a day he will return, knowing there are times and seasons, the question I ask about my, in this context today is this, what's the time? Last night we were out for a meal uh, for Katie's birthday, our, our daughter-in-law's birthday, and someone asked me, what are you speaking on tomorrow? And I said, what's the time? That's my title. And they replied, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Because we all know that game. And, and the suggestion was, maybe this morning we could play that. So if you'd all like to just put your chairs to the side for a moment. No, you're okay. Uh, we're not going to. You didn't look like you believe me anyway. But we could play, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Remember the game? I, I'm Mr. Wolf, right? You're all the crowd. I walk along and you all shout. And then I turn around and I say, 10 o'clock. And we carry on walking, and you all shout. We're going to keep playing this till you all shout. You all shout. And I turn around, and I say, 2 o'clock. And then I keep going, and you all, all shout. And then I turn around, and I say, dinner time. And what happens then? You all run away, and I try and grab one of you, and then you join my team, and then we're part of the team, and we go forward until, until ad infinitum, until we finish the game, and everyone's on my team. What's the time? Now, if the time is 10 o'clock, no problem, middle of the morning, chill out. If it's 2 o'clock, you're just getting after your siesta, you're just waking up, just relax. But if it's dinner time, you act in a certain way. The point is, when you know the time, you act in a certain way. Clocks went back last night. Winter is starting. Autumn, winter. Many of you know I, I cycle around this city many, many, many miles, many times. I was cycling this week, and it's getting cold, and I, I hate the cold. When I'm on my bike, every morning when it gets into winter, I have this battle in my mind. Should I? Shouldn't I? Only when I get stuck in traffic, when I go in the car, I realize I should have stuck to the bike. But if this battle goes on, should I? But if I'm going to go on my bike, I want to make sure I'm warm enough. So I dress appropriately. I have my clip-on shoes. I have covers that go over the shoes. I have undergarments that go under the lycra. I have a T-shirt on. I have another shirt on top of that. I have a jumper on. I have a snood thing, a hat on my head, my helmet, my glasses, which are clear in the winter, and, uh, and a waterproof coat. If it's raining, I have uh, some over trousers as well. So, that, and that's in September. So when it gets really cold, you should see me. But I dress appropriately. So I'm cold this week. I'm feeling, I've got my two pairs of gloves on. A guy overtakes me. There's three things wrong. Number one, He's got a T-shirt and shorts on, and it's freezing. I'm looking at, to be honest, it was a Batman T-shirt, figured. So he's got his Batman T-shirt on, shorts, and I looked at his feet, and he had flip-flops on. 
Three things that are wrong. Number one, sh shorts and t-shirt, totally inappropriate. Number two, flip-flops are never appropriate on a bike. Never. All right? Let's just establish that. Number three, what was wrong was he was overtaking me dressed like that. Mr. Lycra man already, you know, and here he goes. What's wrong? Mark Driscoll comments this. This is the point. In life, it is important to know what season you are in and to act accordingly. If not, you could be working against the God-ordained rhythms in your life. Doing so is futile. It's as futile as yelling at an apple tree in the dead of winter, demanding that it produce fruit immediately. When you know the time, when you know the season, you act differently. We need to know the times. In the book of Chronicles, there's a group of men that gathered around King David. And these are called men of Issachar. And these men of Issachar, it says of them that they knew the times and they knew what to do. And I think that's a great prayer that we should be praying. What's the time and what should we do? That's a winning combination. What's the time and what should we do? And I think we should ask that question on multiple levels. And in this session here, I want to ask that question on three different levels. What's the time and what should we do about it? What's the time? Number one, this. What's the time in the nations? What's the time in the nations? And I put another question in your notes associated with this. Is the migrant refugee crisis a sign of the times? In other words, is what we're seeing going on in the nations pointing towards the soon return of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you ever think about that? When I've been watching on the news, my mind has often turned towards that question, seeing these people caught in no man's land between different nations, seeing children that are freezing and winter's starting to come, seeing them in the mud and the rain. I look and I think, is the coming of Jesus soon? How long can this go on for in the world? And what you do, even by asking that question, is you're turning your mind, which we should do, and your thoughts to issues of eternity, of that this, what we see, is not all there is. Solomon wrote, eternity is in the human heart. So when we see and when we hear people saying, there must be more than what we see. There must be more. Have you ever heard people say that? There must be more than this to life. What they're saying is eternity's in our heart. There's something more than what we see. And when I look at this migrant, this refugee crisis, in relation to the second coming, my response is, yeah, I think it is. It's a distinct maybe this is hastening. This is pointing towards the end of all things because the Bible describes, and we haven't got time to go into it now, but i put the verses in your notes. In Matthew 24, the disciples say, when are you going to return, Jesus? And he says, no man knows the day, but there will be some signs. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes and famines. But these aren't the end of thing, the things. These are the birth pains. And when you see these people, people like you and me, let's never forget that, 
suffering. You think, this is the birth pains. This is humanity groaning with creation. Lord, when's it going to end? When will the suffering end? There's a prayer that the New Testament Christians paid, prayed, which was this, Maranatha, which means, come, Lord Jesus. And don't you ever look at these things and you think, Lord, come, come, come. Let's put an end to all this suffering. This is happening because in the nations there is war and famine and rumors of war and man against man. And these are the birth pangs. These are the birth pains. Creation is groaning. The earth, the people in it are longing and looking. Yeah, this is part of it, but it should turn our hearts towards eternity. There's an old song we we don't sing it. We didn't sing it very much here at C3, but it says it beautifully. It goes like this. And, and it's Lou Fellingham, who was at our worship event a few weeks ago, used to sing this. It goes, there is a day that all creation's waiting for. Day of freedom, liberation for the earth. And on that day, the Lord will come to meet his bride. And in an instant, we'll be changed. There's a day. There's a day coming. And what is happening in the world is pointing us towards that day. And if we think it's separated from what we do, we're wrong. This is what it says in 2 Peter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, speaking of the end of all things, Peter asks, what kind of people ought you to be? And he adds, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed its coming. The response that we should have when we see the nations in turmoil, when we see what's going on and other signs, some believe other signs that are going on in the earth, it should be saying, yeah, come Lord Jesus. But the question we have to ask is, what should we do? We can't just look and say, these are the times. We say, what should we do in it? And Peter says, this is what you should do. Live holy and godly lives. Because your holy and godly lives speed the day. It's possible to speed the return of Jesus if we live holy and godly lives. So when we see what's going on, we have to respond. I mean, we're going to give £20,000 into the the, the refugee crisis. It's a drop in the ocean. But as Mother Teresa said, the ocean is made of drops. We should respond. We should, for those who want to go and, and, and be involved, and I know some of you have said that, if it's going to Calais, where there's the unofficial camp there, if it's giving of clothes, if it's acting holy and godly, our response affects what's going on in the earth. And don't think we can't do anything. We can do something. And it's part of the whole process. I spoke recently at... Um, uh, a business forum here in the city that Michelle Wilkins got me an invite to. And I was invited to speak on the subject of corporate social responsibility, CSR. And I'm going to read to you what my introduction was. I'm just going to read it. I try not to preach it, but I, I tried on the day just to read it, and, I, and I'll read it to you. This is what I started with. I have just returned two days ago from a cycle ride from London to Paris. Then I added, if you 
think I'm mentioning that to impress you, you'd be absolutely right. But the reason I, along with nine fellow enthusiasts, completed this challenge was to raise money for play equipment for children in the new multi-million pound C3 center that is being built on Coldham's Lane. One of the cyclists works for KPMG. His company gave a generous donation from their CSR fund. One day, in the C3 center, some play equipment, some children will be playing on play equipment that was paid for by KPMG. Whilst that child is playing, one of her parents could be attending the job club that will be set up in the new facility. This will help to equip them to find work and introduce them to new opportunity. Whilst one parent is in the job club, the other may be visiting the food bank distribution center and obtaining some emergency food supplies for the next few days, which if they hadn't have had, might have meant they went without as they fed their daughter or perhaps they, re they turned the heating off because they couldn't afford to eat and keep warm. And yes, that does happen in 21st century Britain in Cambridge. Whilst they're visiting, they hear of the community lunch and they take an invitation for the auntie who doesn't get out much. The elderly aunt comes to the lunch, meets some of the volunteers who invite her to a church service. The auntie loves it, though the music is a little bit modern for her. But her granddaughter has started to come to the Shine Girl self-esteem course, which has, had a such, which has had such an impact on her, and she loves the music, so the aunt can put up with it for her sake. And then I added, and we thought it was just a bike ride. And KPMG thought it was just a bit of loose change, but it might have changed a family for generations to come. CSR affects planet, people, and profit because it's true. Hear this. Everything is connected. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Everything is connected. And that wasn't, I was saying that not in a kind of quantum physics everything is connected because I couldn't possibly comment in relation to that. I haven't got a clue. I mean socially. I mean globally. I mean humanly. If I'd have been in a different context, I'd have gone on to say this. That family, the auntie and the daughter and the mother and the father, they came along to an alpha course and gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and now they're sitting on a whole row here in the church. If I could have carried on the story, which wasn't appropriate in that context, they came to faith because everything is connected. I say that because all that we do is joined up and makes a difference. Whatever's going on in the nations, our little part to play makes a difference. The bishops were right last week to write a letter to the prime minister and the government to say we can do more and we can do it quicker for these migrants because these are people that have been displaced primarily because of war and rumors of wars. And we are here to help the poor and disadvantaged and those that are hurting through no fault of their own but through evil regimes. And yes, there's all kinds of risks for us, but we've got to live in that risk zone because they're the times we live in. Know the times. What about this one? The times 
and the seasons for you or you and your family personally? What's the time for you and your family? Now, I can't answer that for you. I can't say to you, only you can identify the season that you're in. But here's my request to you. And I think this is the whole strength of the conversation that's going on in Ecclesiastes 3. Would you learn to discern? Church, guys, learn to recognize this is the season I'm in right now. And know this, some things start and some things finish. And everything won't carry on forever. It just won't. It's not going to be. The only thing that carries on forever is that which is connected to God. Life, for example, won't always be awesome. There'll be hard times. Hip, hip. And I wish Christians, and, and, and we should use social media. We should go on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those things. Use them. But I'm a little bit tired of everyone talking about how awesome their life is. And I'm not suggesting you put all the depressing stuff on, but let's be honest, your life can't be that awesome. The Lego movie lied to you. Everything is awesome. Know that one? Everything is great when you're part of a team or something like that. I don't know the words. Everything isn't great in part of a team. I've worked in team. It's not always awesome. Come on, let's be honest. Lego movie lied. Anyone need ministry afterwards, there's a prayer team that will pray for you. Some things are just okay. It's all right. Be free to say, how was your day? Distinctly average. That was my day. How was your day? Rubbish. It's okay to say that. Why? Because the Bible says there's a time to laugh and there's a time to cry. But this is the point. You need to be able to discern that God is in the awesome, because he's an awesome God, and our awesome God, because that's where the word should really be used, is also in the crappy day. I'm not supposed to say crappy. That's not. It's in a horrible day. God is still there. And you will never grow up unless you learn to discern the seasons. Enjoy awesomeville. Stay in Awesomeville as long as you can. But no, God is there. But when you get to Depressionville, when you get to the pit, no, God is also there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. If I descend to the depths, oh God, you're here. I thought you only lived in Awesomeville, but here you are in hellish type territory. And he's there. And if we can learn to discern the God is in them both. It also helps to hold you. That when you're going through the hard times, know you're going to go through it. Because there's another season that's ahead. Because God is a God of seasons. I will be mourning. And by the way, it's right to mourn. We don't have to. The only way you're ever going to wake up with a, with a smile on your face permanently is if you go to bed with a coat hanger in your mouth. You don't have to constantly smile. If it's a day to mourn, mourn. But know that the next day could be a day of rejoicing. There may be weeping for the night, but joy comes in the morning because God is a God of seasons who leads us. It's right to dance. But there might be a day 
when there's a day to grieve. You scatter, you sow, but there will be a day to reap. And know there are seasons. Things start and things finish. The key to life is knowing what season are we in. We can't just repeat yesterday and think well, it'll be the same as today because we may have to act differently today in the season that we're in. And you need to know that as well. In parenting and in, as you're getting older in life and in different seasons, there's different ways you have to act. And there are some restrictions that are put on you at certain seasons, but they won't last forever. There'll come a day where you're freer from those restrictions because that's how life goes. In life as well, there are certain rites of passages that we just go through that we should enjoy in the moment. We found the other day some photographs of our children, the first day of school photograph. You know, the, 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 now everyone puts them on Facebook. We didn't in those days because we didn't have it. But you have the obligatory standing there with a brand new uh, box, you know, the, the sandwich box and brand new uniform, smiling. Enjoy it. It's a, a rite of passage that they get a new sandwich box and a new uniform, going to school if they do uniform. Before you know it, then they're leaving school and they're doing the school prom. And that's it. Enjoy it. It's, it's a rite of passage where they, they, they dress up and then, then from sixth form and then there's a marriage day and you're enjoying all that goes with that. And there's these rites of passages that you enjoy. It's like a hinge moment. And as you hinge on that moment, embrace it and enjoy it. Your birthday is every year. Some people say, I don't want to celebrate my birthday. Whether you celebrate it or not, you're getting older. You can't, I'm not going to celebrate. It's like putting your head, you know, in your hands and saying, I'm, I'm hiding, I'm not really there. You're still getting older. Embrace it. Embrace the rites of passages and enjoy them. In a year's time, my wife and I, we will be entering a new season of our life. We're going to become empty nesters. All our children will have left. Meg will be at university, theological college, wherever she's going to go. And we will drop her off one day. We're just, I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to drop her off at her halls, and me and Ange are going to bawl like babies. We're going to cry, aren't we? We've practiced it. We talk about it every now and again. I'm going to cry when Meg goes. Yes, all right. Because I like her being at home. I like hearing her sing. I like the door opening. No, she's home safe. I, 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 I just like to hear it in the house, as I with all our children. I'm going to miss her. And I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be sad. We're going to cry all the way home in the car. Then we're going to get home, and we're going to look at each other. we we'll say, it's a new season. What are we going to do? And then we're going to decide, what do we do in our new season? And some things I've thought about are this. We've got more than one toilet in our house because we're really posh. Uh, and Meg has her own toilet. I'm going to go on the loo on her toilet because I can now. When she's gone, not yet, but when she's gone, I'm going to use different toilets, different showers. I'm going to use her shower. I am. Yeah. And then we're going to go on holiday outside of term time because we can then. And it'll be cheaper. Sorry, all you parents have got a few years. Just wait. It passes. She's going to be at college. Tough. She's not coming with us. We're going to fly. I go somewhere. And it's just going to be two flights and so much cheaper. And I'm going to embrace the new season. But I know there's a hinge moment to pass through. But it won't last forever. We have a God who uses everything 
and everyone and every season. Hear me. We have a God who uses everything and everyone. He'll use a Herod who seemed an evil man to destroy children, to fulfill the purposes of God. He'll use ungodly kings for his purposes. On this building, we had delay after delay. And I can stand here now and tell you, every delay, every season we went to, worked ultimately for our good. We've had some church splits, and, and some of them beautifully came back. Some of the people who left us for our grand opening. When I met these people, again, this is what I realized. It was right for you to go. There's no pain in it now. You had to go for us to get to where we are and for you to be where you are. There's no pain in it. It was a right. It felt hard at the time, but it was a season to walk through so as we could fulfill our destiny to be who we are, and we have to separate from some people. And that's a word from God for some of you. There's some people you have to separate from from this season in order to go to the next one. You just do. That's, that's how life is made up. There are seasons, but everything ultimately will work for your good. Number three, and finally, I finish with this. What's the time and season for us as a church family? And I went through all those. It's a time to, it's a time to, it's a time to. I said, look, look, what is it for us as a church? And these are the two that struck me in came out of the pages I, I read. And I want to just prophesy, say this over us. C3. It's a time to build still. We've moved into here, but we're still building. And in fact, I wonder if there'll ever be a season when it's not right to build. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, remember? And until he returns, he's going to keep building. And we're on the building program with him. I'm not... Not only is that true in the spiritual, but naturally, we've still got rooms to finish. It's a time to build. We're still building. We've got Alpha Terrace now as well. What are we going to do with that? How are we going to build in that and make it more fit for purpose, etc.? It's a time to build. It's a time to build. And then I thought, that's good. What, what are we building on? And then this other phrase came to me, and this is what I believe is right for us at this season. It's also a time to embrace. Time to embrace. And I thought, yeah, well, that's, that's obvious. It's a time to embrace the new. That's what Anne spoke about last week, and she's absolutely right. There are new people coming through our doors. It's a time to embrace them and bring them into our world so as that they may not have been part of our history, but they're part of our destiny. So we must embrace the new, new times, new season, new, new people. But as I'm looking at it, I think, that's not what I feel to say to us as a church. I want to say this to us. It's a time to embrace that which we've always embraced and that which we've always held to because not only is it a time to build but a time to build on the right foundations and the foundational stuff hasn't changed it's still time to build and embrace that for which we've all what we which we've always stood for though in some ways moving into here everything's changed also nothing's changed we still hold to that which is our core and foundational realities and truth. If you go to our website, you'll see there's a whole list of values. They're not going to change anytime soon. They're not going to change. In fact, I'd say this, as long as we're the senior pastors here in the church, those values aren't going to change. And maybe they won't after we've gone. 
because they're so biblical and they're so eternal. We believe it's a time to make disciples. We believe that conversion is the beginning of the story, and then we want to help people grow in Christ. We believe that as a church, we're committed to the Word and the Spirit, that every individual needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and know that they're empowered from on high, and every individual needs to hold a value of the Bible. We believe in Word and Spirit. We value excellence. We believe that we want to do things well, as well as we can with the resources that we have. We don't want to let that go. We believe that it's right to be passionate about our faith and in our worship, particularly corporately, to express that with a passion. We value having fun, so we'll take some risks with the C3 News or even the jokes that I might tell that might just pancake. You know, you don't know how that feels. You, you think, I'll try this one out at home. It, it, it doesn't work at home. And you think, oh, it's just my wife won't get it. And then you tell a joke and it just goes, mm. then what do I do now? You move on quickly. But we, we, we are a people that say, fun oils the wheels. Joy of the Lord is your strength. We're committed to having fun. We're committed to, to being generous. Let me tell you a little secret, which is a, a problem. I was with some leaders this week. We were with some leaders. Uh, John Kirkby, Ben Cooley, uh, they head up CAP and, and Hope for Justice, um, David Shearman, Stuart Bell, and we showed them some of the stuff that's been happening here. Told them how much this building had cost. And they said this to us, John Kirkby particularly prophesied over us. He said, you might just have the most generous church in the UK. That's you. You might just be, he said, to have done what you've done with that number of people for that amount of money, you might just be about, he said, I don't know anywhere else that's done that. Here's the problem. We've got to keep it up. If that's our identity, we don't want to, we don't want to be known, no longer a generous church, but we are a generous church. Your giving is incredible. Time, talent, and treasure. We value community. On Friday, we had the community hub. Open to all of you, by the way. I don't know what we'll do if you all come, but uh, where you can come and have a meal, not just the needy and disadvantaged. Well, in fact, yeah, just the needy, because I've never met a person yet who isn't needy. We all need something. We all need God. We all, we're all, come and have a meal with us. Meet some new people. A guy walked in who two weeks ago had just come out of prison. And to come here and find community was a lifesaver for him. Come and just find people. Just chat. We're not, just, just be. It's all you have to be because we know God's answer to aloneness is community. And our world needs community. I'll say this for some of you. The healing of your past and of your memories and, and of your past, it's, it'll come in community. Just being around people not the same as you. Community. We value honor. We'll keep honoring people in the church. We value grace where we're all worthy of respect and dignity because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And I want us, as we go forward, say we must embrace these. These are our foundational truths. Don't let them go. And above all, this last one with which I'll close. Perhaps more than anything else, we need to know that the time that we're in is a time of God's favor for salvation. For people who don't know Jesus Christ coming to find him through our witness. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now, 
is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We are living in a period of grace where it's anyone, whatever their, their, their socioeconomic position, whatever their educational background, whatever their condition, whatever they've come from, whatever they're going to, whatever their language, race, tongue, they, if they call on the name of the Lord, we are living in an age where God hears them. And it's not judgment, but it's grace. So we're living in a time where anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's C3. That must always be our priority. We must be willing to change anything, anything, lean in now, hear me on this one, anything to reach the lost. We must change anything. Our songs, our times, our meetings, because it ain't for us. It ain't for the already convinced. You're mature if you're already convinced. You know this is why we exist for those that don't yet know Jesus Christ. And we must change anything in order to reach them. Because it can't be about us. I am saddened when I go through this city. Today again, it gets to me, and those that have lived with me know I mention this. When I come to the old Methodist church at Fenditton, and it was sold a number of years ago now, two years ago, as a spiritualist center. I look at it and I think, that was once a thriving congregation that preached Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And now, another venue in the city, Methodist Church, was sold as an Islamic uh, educational center, another Methodist center. And they'll do good work, those people in there, I'm sure, but they're not preaching Christ and Him crucified. And I'm thinking, God... The Methodist Church reckon, this is their own statistics, and I'm not knocking Methodists, I love the Methodists, but they reckon that with their continuous decline, that by 2050, by the middle of the century, they will no longer exist. They will be extinct. My mom goes to a church. She loves it. She loves the hymns. She can't cope in our environment here, and I'm glad she loves the hymns because they mean something to her. But those hymns are irrelevant to most people today. And so their church, I got saved. I became a Christian in that church. I am eternally grateful for what was preached. But I want to say sometimes to them, and my heart breaks, that building where it's gradually gone less and less and less and less and less because it's just dying, it's right opposite my mum's house. It will become a block of flats maybe in my lifetime because it's an ideal situation. It will. And I think, I don't, I don't, I love the hymns. I love them. But I'm not going to sing them just because I love them. We're going to, if we need to have more smoke and louder music or less smoke and, and, and quieter music, if it reaches more people, we should do it. We should do anything because it isn't about you and your comfort. And it isn't about me and my comfort. And I don't want us having come into this comfortable environment now when the seats are wider and we feel, you know, we've arrived. I don't want us ever to forget. It's not about us. We've invested into this, not just for our comfort, though we enjoy that, but for those that don't yet know Jesus Christ. And that's why we exist. Another survey has come out recently pointing out that most people come to faith in Jesus Christ under the age of 25. In fact, this new survey says most people come, out, come to Christ under the age of 14. We should do everything for that age group. We should. 
You say, well, what about me? I'm older than that. Me too, but I'm mature. <laughs> and I know that I'm going to die, and those 14-year-olds are still going to live. We should do it all for them, if that's the best way to reach more people for Christ. Because that's why we exist. What's the time? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of God's favor. Let's bow our heads. Musicians, would you come back? I put a, a link on your, in your notes. I'm not praying now. I'm talking. Which is a link to another survey that's been done called Talking Jesus. Can I encourage you to go to that? It shows that 57% of the population still believe in God. Only nine, a Christian God, believe in Christ. Only 9% are practicing Christians. Survey is really good, done by the Church of England and the Evangelical Alliance and Hope. Well, what they've said is that if 57% still believe in Jesus, they're just waiting for someone to show them. They still believe, but they haven't yet gone to the next point, so what? So next week, we're starting a series here, which is called, If God, Then What? Okay, I believe in God. If you've got friends that believe in God, invite them. If God, why so much suffering? Has anyone ever said that to you? If God, what about religion? What about science? Doesn't science disprove God? If God, how can I find him? If God, isn't the church irrelevant? Why do we bother? A young lady came up to me after the first service and said, my friends ask me those questions all the time. And I want to be able to have some intelligent arguments. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it to equip you, but also to say to you, why don't you invite your friends to come and hear some of this stuff? Why? Because, yeah, it's to train us, but it's also because it's about those that do not yet know Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing this beautiful song before we finish. I am a child of God.